is a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 4th of July 2008. Newcomers should always look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and download as much of the previous talks that I've given over the years which help to give you lots of shortcuts to what's really happening, what happened in the past, the decisions that were made that brought us to the present and the big powers that are putting us into the future, a planned future, a future which those who are conscious won't like very much. Also look into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu and download transcripts in the other tongues of Europe. We are on quite the rush as the puppeteers pull every string of culture and society and societies across the planet in a very, very old, very old plan which took centuries in the making and lots of work, lots of money, lots of buying over media because media is the key to everything. It gives most people what they think is their daily reality and that goes on right through their lives. Big money and big organizations started the educational systems long ago with the intent of creating the perfect types of citizens. And you'd understand that these people had a different idea of perfection than the average person in the street would have. They wanted an obedient population. Read Webster's speeches given in the 1800s on this very topic. And that's pretty well been accomplished. School starts us off. Actually, your parents start you off because they've already been brainwashed in their own time. And they pass on what they think is reality to the children. Kindergarten takes over, and as Lord Bertrand Russell and many others said, with expert indoctrination, scientific indoctrination, they will completely take over the mind of the child. That which is put in at such an early age never leaves them especially when it's reinforced with emotion and pictures and videos and so on to hammer home the impact, to imprint it on their minds. And they're being imprinted right now with the, the greening of the planet. They're being imprinted with nasty adult people throwing garbage all over the place and ruining the world that they're going to grow up in. And they will be the young green fascist police when it's time for them in 20 years or so. This is all scientifically done. And the parents, again, because they're out of the picture, parents have given their power of parenting over to the state, which was always the goal. At one time, the elite, like Bertrand Russell, said they'd thought, they had always thought, and he was an aristocrat, speaking on, on behalf of British and European aristocracy and royalty. He said, we always thought we'd eventually have to take the children away from the parents so they wouldn't be contaminated 
with the parents' ideals and ideas. He said, but if we can get him at two years of age in kindergarten and four hours per day, he said, we will bring up the children and the parental input at home will simply wash off the child like water off a duck's back. And that has been accomplished. But then all culture is flux and it's fluid. Culture, as Plato said, can be turned 180 degrees within one generation with rights and wrongs and normal values to the abnormal. And the last ones to notice are those who live through it. Back with more after these messages. the matrix and the matrix is the reality that you live in but the reality is full of many layers of illusions and those illusions are not there by chance they're put there by those who create and guide culture people grow up thinking that everything is quite natural it must be so because no one says otherwise that's how simple it is yet from the fashions to the music to the topics you chat about. They're all downloaded into you, like Mr. Brzezinski has said. All the old techniques. And talking about culture, when the elite want a passive culture, they give you a good time. They tell you to party and have fun. And they throw credit cards at you. They make things pretty cheap and pretty well made. And that's what the public had for quite a few years. And now, of course, they've altered it all once again, and the good times are gone. All by design. Gone because they knew many, many, many years ago when they started the covert operations to set China up as the main manufacturer of the planet, that eventually they'd export all the factories over there. And people don't realize and how quickly they adapt again. It's true enough what Plato says, that the, cult, that the actual generation going through are the last to notice. They adapt so fast. It's like they delete their memory. There's no further value to them. But you forget that, that the U.S. and Canada and most of Europe was covered in factories where they produced all their own goods. Now we're down to service economies where we bring things in we import stuff in and we pass it around. That's what it's done to. And you can tell by the quality of materials and things that you buy that everything is disposable. That's what you used to find in third world countries back in the 70s and 80s. Everything's passed here by the big inspection companies that are supposed to guard, safeguard you and they're selling you junk because they're maximizing the profit which means making them as cheaply as possible. So it's not meant to last too long, the system. That's key to that. You can tell it by the quality of the goods. But culture is an interesting thing, as I say, because every generation has been reared since World War II, especially thinking that it's their time, that everything is put out by themselves somehow. They see 
people around their own age groups singing songs or wailing songs or yelling songs or shouting songs or swearing songs at them, and they think, this is ours. And they always give you a fashion to suit, you see. And then, of course, when they brought out the same regime, plus contraception back in the 60s, because remember, they'd already tried it in the 1920s, and it failed. When they re-brought it back in the 60s, that was a real kick-off, and the ball was rolling. Most of the goals of what people think to be the Communist Manifesto have been accomplished in a very short space of time. And you now have the demoralized culture. You also have an apathetic culture. Very, very important is apathy, the creation of apathy. When you bring a culture down and you want them to be docile and obedient and afraid, fear is very good when you weaponize culture. And that's what's been done, you see, weaponizing culture. The same technique they use to weaponize bacterium and viruses, that's what they call it, weaponizing They've been weaponizing culture for a long time. Things that the average person would never dream of. You see these monsters and psychopaths who guide the future employ big, big teams of other psychopaths and pay them big money to dream up these things. And how they do it really is by an altered perception of things. It's different if you have, if you're like a camera and you simply study objects, that's how the psychopath studies his target or his prey. And that's how they see us. So when we come from a cultural perspective from the bottom, we would never, we'd never dream of how they think at all. It's so foreign and alien to us, but they actually weaponize culture. The article I'm about to read is from the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, written by Hugh Gusterson, who is himself an anthropologist who has worked in these fields. Obviously, I would think, for government departments, he worked at MIT, and that's very telling in itself. This is the 20th of June, 2008. This is the U.S. military's quest to weaponize culture. The Pentagon seems to have decided that anthropology is to the war on terror what physics was to the Cold War. As an anthropologist, this makes me very nervous, where former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld believed that the United States would vanquish its enemies through technological superiority. His replacement, Robert Gates, has said that cultural expertise in counterinsurgency operations will be crucial in the future wars he anticipates. When research that could be funded by neutral civilian agencies is instead funded by the military, knowledge is subtly militarized. Knowledge is subtly militarized, remember that, and bent in the way a tree is bent by a prevailing wind. For those anthropologists who don't judge the vitality of our discipline, remember that he is an anthropologist who's talking, who's worked in these fields before during the Cold War. Solely in terms of revenue streams, the Pentagon's new interest in culture is worrying. So far, the Pentagon has announced two major initiatives to mobilize anthropological knowledge for war. The first is the Human Terrain Team System, to which Gates allocated $40 million 
in September 2007. The Pentagon plans 26 human terrain teams, one for each combat brigade in Iraq and Afghanistan. The five-person teams include three military personnel. Each team also includes an anthropologist or another social scientist who will wear a military uniform and receive weapons training. Described as doing armed social work <laughs> by David Kilcullen, an Australian expert in counterinsurgency who advises General David Petruis in Iraq, the teams elicit information from villagers for Pentagon databases and provide cultural orientation to U.S. military leaders. According to a scathing article in Newsweek, thus far few of the embedded social scientists recruited speak local languages or know much about local culture. For example, the best-known embedded anthropologist, Marcus Griffin, of Christopher Newport University in Virginia, is mainly knowledgeable about Filipino hunter-gatherers and freegan dumpster drivers in the United States. One wonders how useful his military colleagues find his cultural expertise. Last year, the executive board of the American Anthropological Association issued a statement condemning the use of anthropologists in human terrain teams. Why would the AAA object to anthropologists doing their bit for the war on terror? After all, perhaps anthropologists could help smooth out some of the cultural misunderstandings between U.S. troops and locals that have exacerbated violence in Iraq and Afghanistan. Is this political correctness run amok? Well, here's the reality. This is from me. You see, this guy knows very, very well uh, that down through the ages, in fact, in most ancient times, in fact, there were different names for people who studied cultures. Even the watchers is a little uh, term used in some old religious books. You study the enemy. You study the culture, their customs. You study their taboos or laws. And eventually you, you find ways to alter their taboos and their laws, and then ultimately their whole culture. They've been using this for centuries and centuries. Always study your prey. Study your prey. And we know that the whole idea of taking over the Middle East is to eradicate the last vestiges of basically a theocracy, a theocracy of Islam which is the culture. The religion over there basically is the culture. It's one and the same thing. And they have decided that no one will be outside this system, this world system, this new world order. Neither their children who must attend the new United Nations UNESCO schools and have their indoctrination, nor the adults. And they mean by any means possible. That means killing them if necessary. If they can't bring them in, they'll kill them. That's what's to happen. The world is being standardized. It's an old, old plan. And those countries they don't want will be simply massacred, destroyed, or starved to death, or diseases will be set into them to kill them off. That's what we're dealing with, utter ruthlessness. But this article, as I say, is worth a read because you'll find that anthropologists have been funded by the Pentagon for an awful, awful long time. Various ethnologists, anthropologists, and so on, even zoologists and historians are, are brought in regularly to big, big meetings 
its military organizations. Arnold Toynbee, for instance, used to give lectures to the, the top military officers for Britain, the ones who did the planning for wars, to give them rundowns on their philosophies of other countries, the histories of other countries. That's what they all do. You must know your enemy if you plan to destroy them. It was the very same thing in India when Britain had the sepoys and the, the various regiments they, they set up to eventually fight other Indians. They put things down through the ages, even the Romans did it. And I'll tell you about that when I come back from this break. and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And before I go to the phones, I'll just finish this little piece I was reading here, a little piece of it. It's interesting. It says, Embedded anthropologists are on shaky ethical terrain because they cannot realistically get free consent from their interlocutors while dressed in camouflage and traveling with U.S. soldiers and Humvees. Similarly, they cannot control the use of the information they collect for the military and thus cannot ensure it isn't used to harm communities they study. For instance, during the Vietnam War under Project Phoenix, anthropological knowledge was used to target villagers for assassination. I should mention, too, that your culture was weaponized a long time ago in the West. Even at World War II, there's books out on Hollywood, Hollywood Goes to War, well worth the read, and all the big amount of millions of dollar funding they got and Britain had the same with Pinewood Studios to turn out war movies propaganda movies to get young fellows that had no idea what death was all about think it was all one big great adventure and they haven't stopped and for 20 odd years they've been given video games out to children designed for the military so that they could go and kill targets without thinking automatic conditioning responses as Pavlov would be very, very proud of. And that's been done. You have it geared with the worst culture ever given, at the worst time ever given, as they bring down the system completely. You have children who will go into those uniforms quite willingly and happily and do whatever they're told for their masters because they want to belong. They want to belong, and here's your new fraternity. They all wear black and carry machine guns and work for the boss. So we'll go to the phones now, and we've got uh, a long distance. We'll take that first. That's Red One from Jordan. Are you there, Red One? Yes. Hello, Alan. Hello. You okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are surviving as well. You're surviving, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's about all you can um, say these days, yeah. Yeah, and time is uh, flying by. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I'm, re- I'm reading a book. It's called The Political Panorology. Yeah. Uh, did you read it? Yes. Uh-huh. Because uh, a lot of stuff you say, mm-hmm. I can uh, slide that back into the book. Yes. It's an interesting read because um, it does go in. Uh, it does go into studies that were done 
in the old Soviet bloc on psychopaths and the author and others involved went through uh, a hazardous time as they were picked mm -hmm. up by the KGB, but they did notice that the same leader type qualities that they had in the Soviet Union were identical to those who got to the top in the Western world in politics too, and they had the same psychopathic traits. They all had the same psychopathic traits, and therefore he, they, they reasoned that those who have those traits naturally gravitate towards power, and because they're ruthless, they get up there by any means possible. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Lucifer has done a very good job. Yes, indeed. Uh, good studies in it, good documentation on it. Uh, there's no guesswork really involved, and uh, they go into it in quite good depth. Yeah. Okay. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, I have uh, some words I would like you to ponder um, um, about. Uh, have you ever heard about that jazz? Uh, what is that? That jazz. It's an Arabic word. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's actually the, the translation, the free translation is uh, the Antichrist. Yeah. And you have his counterpart, and that's the Mahdi, or the leader of the believers. Yeah. That's so right. That, uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it's a Hegelian dialectic also, but uh, according to some Islamic uh, sources, uh, mm -hmm. scholars, uh, those two uh, will be uh, actually deciding the outcome yes. in the future. Yes. It's interesting. It's very similar to uh, the old Christian beliefs as well, where I say old because they're pretty well gone here, except for uh, just a vague cultural remnant uh, who's just a cultural club rather than a religion. But they always talk about the beast, you know, that, that mm -hmm. brings forth this particular antichrist character so they're very similar in in that way uh, and of course the people eventually have to as i say worship uh, the beast as well i've no doubt at all see a psychopath would also fit that quality perfectly because they want applause they, they've got to have applause and they want power they want everyone to bow the knee to them so it's interesting how this all ties together in our lifetime, we don't have to guess what's happening. They're following a very old script, and what's interesting is is that um, that they're following they're following religious scripts. That is very interesting. Okay, yeah, because uh, uh, the last prophet Muhammad he uh, told us about the Dajjal. He said there there was never there never came a prophet who didn't warn about this beast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't disclaim it at all because, as I say, we're living through it. We're seeing the, we're seeing when a world government comes, there'll be a top man for the United Nations when they declare world government. That's one throne, and everybody at the top wants that one seat. And that's probably when they'll start fighting each other for the throne. Yeah. First king of the world. Eh? <laughs> Yeah. And uh, last thing, the Bermuda Triangle. Do you know yeah, something hold, hold about it? Hold on, hold on, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this after the break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
watch and this is cutting through the matrix and one last question from red one from jordan are you there red one uh, yes, yeah go ahead you're talking about the bermuda triangle yeah do you know something about because uh, according to according to some scholars they said that would be the throne of the satan or lucifer mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know what you what your take on this is Well, what I do know is that they made a big hullabaloo about it back in the 70s. That's when they brought a lot of, a lot of fake, very popular, well-funded authors to the front, like Eric von Daniken, who was getting some little Mexican guy to build um, these fake uh, stellas that he said were um, pictures of spacemen and so on. And, but the thing is, uh, there's, there's no doubt they made a big mystery of ships going down, uh, planes going down, magnetic compasses going crazy but what they didn't tell you until the 90s was that in World War II uh, a radar system was set up under the water all around that area and uh, they use it today to guide underground underwater submarines and of course it makes all compasses go crazy and you can get lost very easy when this stuff is, is working and putting up this uh, ELF radiation pulse it throws everything off. So it was a great cover for them while they were doing all this stuff during the Cold War as well um, to say, oh, my goodness, it's all spooky. We don't know what's causing these odd things. But that's what also caused all the dolphins and the whales to beach themselves. They knew this all along, all along. And they used to say, oh, it could be a virus in the, in the, in the, in the head of the, the dolphin in its ear cavity or something. But it was all to do with it's high science. High science is, is always covered by UFOs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Okay, thanks for yeah, calling. Good night. You too. And with Joshua from New York. Are you there, Joshua? Hey, hello, Alan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Alan, first of all, uh, I just want to thank you for uh, saving me from the Bush bashing. It's all about 9-11 movement there and uh, bringing me further down the uh, rabbit hole. Yes, it's a, it's a uh, deep hole. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that, and it's also on topic with know your enemy. I'm, I'm finding now, as I try more and more to, to educate myself, I mean, first of all, sifting through the BS is, is just, just hard, as, hard as anything. I yes, think, it but, is. Uh, yeah. But, I, I, you know, I mean, trying to, you know, educate myself and, and trying to, you know, uh, further, further myself into to this process, I, I, I'm losing more and more of the people that mean so much to me. And I know. It, yeah. It's really disheartening. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30 years old now, you know, and I feel as though I never knew who I was. Everything that I am, everything that I thought I was is just... Yeah blurbs that I've, I've heard on the news, and, and I, even now, I, I catch myself, you know, repeating the phrases. That, yeah. that, uh, it's just so disheartening, Alan, and I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I constantly question myself, you know, you always mm-hmm. say, know thyself, know thyself, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's really hard if you're, you know, especially now, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm almost 30 years old, and mm-hmm. I don't have a clue who I am. I, I, yeah. I, I I have no idea who I am, and, and that's that's more depressing mm-hmm. than I was two years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm in a right. relationship now with a woman who I love very much, and 
and she fights me tooth and nail every single day on anything that, that she doesn't want to hear. And, and she won't even look at the things that I'm talking about. She won't even sit there and, yeah. and, and take the time to say, yes, that's right, or no, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. She won't even take the time, and, and, and it's just so disheartening. I know, I know. And that, that's the key to it. Uh, you, you talk about know thyself. Well, that, that's you're going through the very bottom stage where you're starting to know yourself, and it, and it really starts in the wilderness. And, that's for sure. That's and for sure. you do find that as you change, you start to leave people behind you because you're going up and you're still down there, and they're telling you loud and clear they want to stay down there. They say that ignorance is bliss, it is. and it's, it's very true for the ignorant. But, but when your mind starts to take off on its own, you can't stop it, and there's no going back. And I don't want to, and I don't want to, but I don't want to lose the people that mean the most to me. I mean, yeah. these are people that, you know, this woman, I, I want to marry her. I want her to, you know, mother my children. But, I mean, she won't even, she won't even sit down and, and listen to pediatricians and doctors who say, hey, 2% of the 2% people that have polio that cause paralysis only get it for a, a long-standing time. I mean, now we're talking like 0.002%. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's... It's just, it's, it, she fights me so much. It's just so disheartening, yes. Alan. I, I know. You've got to do an awful lot of thinking. An awful lot of thinking. What you'll have to do, too, is, and, and I mean this, and it's not easy at the beginning, but eventually you do get used to it. You start to live inside your head when you're around people that you love and relatives and so on because it's two different worlds, and they will never understand where you are. Unbelievable. It's yeah. Just, it's, it's but you're waking up, and that's it. You, this is a that in itself is a miracle, but it has its price, and yeah. you you have to start to learn to, to walk amongst the people, um, do the basic communicating. I call it robo speak, but but <laughs> you you also have to live in your head at the same time. There's no point in trying. See, you cannot make people wake up. You can't make them wake up. Well, I'm trying, Alan. I'm, I'm trying to become more self-sufficient. I'm trying to take my life back, yeah. and it's difficult. I mean, even, even with the aerial spraying, I mean, here it is July 4th, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Patriots yeah. of Patriots holiday here in the States. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, who's lived, who lives in upstate New York will, will tell you, this has been the biggest aerial spraying day that I've noticed. I, I, I mean, mm -hmm. in, in the past couple of weeks, you know, I mean, it, I'm like, wow, it looks like they're, they're calming down in their, their ways and their means. And yeah. here it is, July 4th, and my clock, my Yeah, I, I've got it up here, too. But you see, they, they love to mock the victims uh, down below. They love to mock the victim as part of the ritual. And so here, as you say, here they are partying and been, been sprayed like bugs. And that's just mocking the victim, Yeah. One last question, Alan, and I want to keep it short because I know you have a lot of people who appreciate what you do. But uh, what, 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 you know, for for someone like myself who who is, you know, in, in this process of waking up, uh, what, how, how can we know who we are when we're we've been taught for thirty years of our lives that mm -hmm. you're nothing more than what the television tells you? How, how do we? 
how do we know thyself? All I know about who I am is I love to help people. That innate survival mechanism, it's there. And I've never, no matter how many times I've been burned or whatnot from other people, that's all I want to do is I want to help people. What else can I do mm -hmm. to know who I am? To know who you are is in those little quiet moments uh, when your mind does relax and you find it drifting off into um, something you, you do love. And it's through recognizing what you do love and even the simple things in nature or whatever, um, it tells you who you are. You're capable of it to begin with. And when you're capable of these things, it's telling you the real, who the real you happens to be. And you take note of all those little things, uh, the things that do upset you when you see people getting hurt or put down or whatever, um, that's innate within you. You don't, you don't have to be taught that. You already have those qualities. And these are the things you must take note of. And as you build on that and take note of them and list them, you start to find out once again who you are. But you also find out where your weaknesses are as well, and then you have to deal with them. Absolutely. Alan, thank you very much. I appreciate this. Well, thanks for calling. Thank you. Now, but Tom in Massachusetts. Are you there, Tom? Alan. Yes. Yeah, it was good advice for that fellow from New York, Joshua. Uh, that's about the best that you can do. I've been following this for quite a number of years, and um, uh, you do start to distance yourself from the people that are close to you. But like you say, once you engage in the robo-speak, it kind of helps. Yeah. And at the same time, too, uh, you find those things, for example, that uh, you enjoy doing or that you uh, are drawn to, like helping other people, and, and you find uh, uh, ways to do that, to uh I've been more involved with that, and then hopefully some of these people might listen to you if you can just uh, very cautiously uh, proceed with some information. But uh, that was some good help for him there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just wanted to um, ask one thing. Uh, it seems to me that this uh, quest towards world control over the centuries by a select few families, it seems to have, uh, from what I can just sense or get a pulse on, it just seems to have a higher power or maybe like a non human force behind it, um, and the reason why I say that is my study of uh, Freemasonry, and I think as you've mentioned before, the higher level Masons engage in some type of uh, ritual of that where they uh, take on an entity, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just trying to make that connection. Of course, I don't have uh, a lot of the older books from the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, and yeah. the more modern books naturally leave a lot of that out. You really have to fish for that. but. I'm just wondering what your take was on uh, was on that. Well, I, I've met some of them, and uh, who told me about the ceremony. Different people who didn't know each other in different parts of the country, and they all told me about the same ceremonies. And, and they did say they, they took on entities. And I must admit, from what I saw, they did have uh, incredible strength and vigor for their age, and um, too much so actually. Mm. I saw amazing things happen, and they also said they had little gifts given to them, like slight telepathy, etc. They weren't born with it, but they were given it um, little precognitions that would help them along in business and so on. And to be honest with you, the closest it comes to is something that's very unpopular today, and that was in demonology. Um, they themselves talk about the different categories of what normally were called demons, and I don't people realize that in ancient times they had they actually had lists of demons who were specialists in certain areas. Right. And uh, some religions used to call them down uh, for specific purposes. Well, 
the astonishing thing was to, to not just in the old books, but talking to some of these fellows, uh, they, 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 they admitted to this as well. The same types of the same names, in fact, the old um, Kabbalistic ones um, are very popular. Uh, and I, I would have to say that there's definitely, there are forces in this world, and I, I've witnessed them, so I can't deny them. Right. I'd love to, I'd love it to be all scientific. Uh, explained, but it, but it's not. Right. I've witnessed too many things which are out of what we call the, the normal or the ordinary. Right. And yeah, there's definitely what I would simply call uh, demonic type presences within them. Yeah, because uh, it was seen to me. I mean, I've uh, I've checked around and I've looked into um, some of the books that are used by some of the uh, societies, and that once they get to the higher levels and. Uh, these books of incantations and grimoires yeah. that are 100, 200 years old, they go for like 500, 1,000, 2,000 dollars a piece. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I always remember too what Blavatsky said. Now, <clears throat> Blavatsky wasn't a little person who made good, as they always give you their, their heroes. Uh, she was well funded from the beginning and sent out to create a female side of masonry. Right. And uh, she did say that their ultimate goal, apart from bringing the religions of East and West together, mainly, mainly Hindu mixed with Christianity, uh, was, she says, eventually our purpose will be to blend spirit with science. And when you see what they can do with scientific techniques today, it parallels what used to be called simple well, things like poltergeist phenomena. They can actually do this kind of stuff with high sciences, in fact. Right. So it can be very confusing when you, when you actually experience something, you've got a question, is there another way to do this? Could it be done scientifically? And that's where the confusion sets in. But having, having met some people up there, I'd have to say uh, that they radiate a presence of pure evil. Right. Yeah. And that's the force that seems to be directing this whole, whole quest or goal of the elite. It seems to be behind them because uh, the little people, the profane, uh, we really suffer and we yeah. have suffered over millennia uh, as a result of this. Uh, That's right. They, they could have revealed a number of uh, darling discoveries or inventions, inventions and disease control measures and that uh, that could yeah. actually extend people's lives. But instead, sure. um, you know, they're, they're hell-bent for elimination of the population. And, uh, yeah, they are. They have their quotas, their agendas, yeah. Yeah, like the Georgia Stonehenge, uh, mankind or humanity is to be kept at 500 million, you know, carved right in stone. That's right. Like that. Oh, yeah, it's right there, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, I just wanted to touch base with you on that and uh, appreciate all the help, and um, it's great that you can help people uh, with the work that you do. So okay, thanks I'll for let, calling. I'll let you go for now. Bye now. Yep, bye. Now we've got Mark in California. Hello? Ellen. Yes. Ellen, I have a question for you. I'm in the middle of reading a book by a pretty high road scholar, and um, he's actually the head of the Library of Congress now, James H. Billington in Fire yeah. in the Minds of Men. That's right. And in there, he talks about the Promethean faith of revolution, mm -hmm. that it's a modern belief that science would lead men out of darkness into light. Yeah. And he talks about the solar myth of revolution and the sun rising in a new era, and this constant term in the occult of the dawning of a new day. Yeah. I just wondered if you can elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Prometheus was, uh, I think, uh, um, uh, I think it was Milton also did the poem about being cast down, Prometheus, and I came down and I freed the minds of the, of the people um, who lived like animals in caves, etc., etc. Uh, I gave them intellect, in other words, and Prometheus was a, was a god who stole fire from the, the chief gods 
and brought to him, meaning intellect, supposedly. But not for everyone it was in, the, in the mystery religions, it's intellect for the few. And uh, that's the key to it. Um, they, they always use the, 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 the dawn, of course, is, is the, the light uh, coming in. Uh, there's also Io, the, the light bringer, that, that precedes dawn. And um, in ancient mysteries, in fact, the son of dawn was actually Satan, <laughs> probably enough. But, uh, or, or Lucifer, I should say. There were two distinct separate beings, the devil and Lucifer, in, in ancient times. But, uh, yeah, they, they always use the same. And fire, of course. Fire is a big symbol of theirs. Uh, that's why they, they had to set fire to the, the victims at Waco, uh, because they were announcing a new move, a new, a new America to the American people, uh, that religions and so on would not be tolerated regardless of, of uh, uh, amendments or anything else or Bill of Rights. And that Alan here is on fire. He, he, he also says what you talk about all the time here in the next paragraph down. He says, the ideal was not the balanced complexity of the new American Federation, but the occult simplicity of its great seal, an all-seeing eye atop of a pyramid over the words Novus Ordo Seclorum. Yeah. And I wondered, this pyramid over the, the pyramid, is it, does this have some type of tie-in with the chief cornerstone and the, uh, the astrotheological concept of a messiah? It, it does, too. It also means that you see that... that, that um between the, the top capstone and the, the rest of the pyramid, the pyramid is the body, the body of workers, uh, they call it. And masonry, Osiris stands um, for, for the members. Uh, Isis is the church. That's what it means in masonry. Well, it's the same thing there. You've got, you've got the body of the pyramid. You have the fire and the eye between it. In the separation from earthly to heavenly, the two come together at the end. And so the high one is Lucifer uh, himself, basically. But it also means a hidden group that will never come forward. We call it the hidden masters. Uh, until so the right time. Yeah. I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, and we'll try and get through a, a couple more before the show is over. Uh, got Joe and Phoenix there. Is Joe there? Hi, Alan. Hi. How you doing? Not so bad. I, uh, without all the praise, you know how valuable you are to us. Uh, the, if you, I know you probably have a lot of you know problems with your computers, but I mean, in the in the time I've been listening to you and waiting to call or waiting to talk to you online, my system has gone blue screen three times, and it never seems to happen when I'm you know. Playing, you know, solitaire online, or you yeah. know, looking at any other, you know, um, Cox, you know, uh, any other thing on, online. But whenever I go to the Patriot sites, it or I'm looking at a controversial video, my system restarts, it just shuts down and restarts. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, I, mean, I was out last night getting gas, and you know, it's like an expensive 407, and right in front of a big thunderstorm, you see these trails going across the sky. Yeah. And so I start, you know, explaining to people that are getting gas, I'm saying, hey, look at this, you know. And I, I live in an area where there's a lot of pilots, and they talk about how, you know, well, there's a it's condensation trail. You know, well, know. condensation is, is, you know, from being cold, and it's, it's you know, that ice crystals, they say. Well, mm -hmm. we're 109 degrees here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I try to explain to them, you know, you, and, you, and I talk to the guys at work, and I explain, you know, you, you don't have trails going across the sky from condensation and spreading out into cloud layers when it's this hot. Yeah. 
it doesn't exist. No. But and, and I know you talk about how you know there's very it's very unusual for more than one person to be awake in, in your family. Yeah. And I do have that situation. I have I have another family member who is awake. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm 47. I didn't wake up until I was 42. Yeah. And my son is going to be one of the most youngest awake people. Who, well, he may not be the youngest, but Could he's going to be very awake. He's mm-hmm. he's very smart. But yeah. uh, I mean. That's, that's about what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 thanks for calling. All right, thank you. Thanks for calling. And there's Michelle in Tennessee. Is Michelle there? Hello, Hello Michelle? Hello. Is Randy there? Hello. Hello, is it Randy? Yes. I'll try Hello. you, Michelle. Yeah. I really enjoy your, your show. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you heard of Sergey Manast? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, he's dead now. Yeah, uh, he was on CBC a few years ago, and I sent him a like a dollar or so in the mail, and he sent me all this material in the mid '90s, yeah. and it is just remarkable. Project Blue Beam, yeah, the Rainbow Classification of Citizens, mm-hmm. all kinds of things. Would you verify that information? Is it true? Uh, some of it was true. I didn't go through all of it. He did go into the holographic equipment testing that they were doing um, in the skies up in Canada, and I can testify to that because I actually saw one created one night with witnesses. Uh, it was quite phenomenal to watch it. So, yeah, they were experimenting with the holographic techniques mainly uh, on a huge scale in the skies. Uh, who knows what the, the, their eventual purpose would be. Um, to fool the people about something, I'm sure. But uh, there were definitely figures you could make out that were making. It was quite an entertaining night to watch. And other people across Ontario saw it too. Yeah, yeah his, his material was just so shocking that uh, about what they're, they're planning to do, and it, it fits to the agenda today. Yes, I know. Like. I know. A lot of the uh, factors are all coming together now, little bits and pieces all working together. Yeah. But I thanks for calling. Okay, thank you. From Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, where they've been spraying the blazes out of us today too, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.